Today's episode is brought to you by the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. To learn more, visit usbank.com slash altitude go. As a traveler, it's a fact you're going to need to manage your spending in different currencies. You need a service that not only helps you send, spend, and receive in different currencies fast, but also does it without the hidden fees or exchange rate markups. This is where WISE comes in. WISE is the easiest way to connect all of your finances internationally. I've been a customer for over a decade. It's been a lifesaver for me as a traveler, a nomad, and now a permanent resident abroad. If you're a traveler who's still using your regular bank, you need to check this out. Join 16 million customers and learn how the WISE account could work for you by downloading the app or visiting wise.com slash travel. That's wise.com slash travel. Thank you to WISE for supporting today's show. This episode of Zero to Travels brought to you by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder with seven drive modes. The Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. These border closures, these travel bans, they're creating an incredible emotional burden and taking a psychological and physical toll on many of us who are in a state of separation, indefinite separation. That was Krishni Mativier, who is our guest today. She is heavily involved in the Love Is Not Tourism movement, and it's a complex issue, of course, when countries shut down, entire countries shut down for health reasons, but not everybody that travels to a country is there to be a tourist, and that means they won't be behaving like a tourist as well, so it is tough to figure out a way where we can get people reunited, but also find that compromise where everybody is safe and governments can still handle who's coming in, who's coming out. But this movement's picking up steam for a reason because so many people out there are affected, myself included. I don't know when my parents are going to see their grandkids again, for example, because I live in Norway, they live in the USA. I don't know when I'll get to see my sister again and my nieces, and there are a lot of people in this situation, which is how this movement began. So we're going to talk about that today. I thought it was very important to share. And, you know, even if you aren't somebody who's separated, one of the big messages, the big takeaways from this show is just a reminder that we are not powerless as individuals. It's really easy to see how much is going on in the world and kind of think, well, what could I do about it as an individual? And I think Krishni, our guest today, exemplifies this idea that you as an individual can always make a difference and just embracing or maybe re-embracing that fact is one of the big things that I took away from this show and I took a lot of other things away as well. Of course, we are going to talk travel as well. You can think yourself out of traveling. It's easy. I see people in my own family, you know, friends and what is there to learn out there? And what do I, you know, life is comfortable here. And, you know, it's dangerous out there. I've heard things about that place and those people. And There's something to be said about going out and just doing something. And in addition to plenty of travel talk, we cover a lot of other interesting topics. I mean, things that she's actively researching as part of her PhD. And I was interested to hear how that was related to her travel experience. And also, I got to learn some new stuff. I had to look some of these things up that she was doing. I never even heard about uh, some of this uh, stuff that she was studying before. So I know you are going to be fascinated as well. And, you know, who doesn't like to learn new things? These are topics that I'll never deep dive on, but that's the beauty of this podcast. I get to talk to somebody else 
and have her share her wisdom and her knowledge with us. So a ton coming at you in the show. It's happening right now. So buckle up, strap in. Thanks for being here and welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friend. You're listening to the Zero to Travel podcast, where we explore exciting travel-based work, lifestyle, and business opportunities, helping you to achieve your wildest travel dreams. And now your host, world wanderer and travel junkie, Jason Moore. Hey, hey, it's Jason with ZeroToTravel.com. Welcome to the show, my friend. Thanks for hanging out, letting me bring a little travel into your ears. This is the show to help you travel the world on your terms to fill your life with as much travel as you desire, no matter what your situation or experience. Fall is officially here in Oslo, Norway. I've been really enjoying watching the leaves change colors, as I admitted on my newsletter to the Zero to Travel community online, which by the way, you know, we have a whole newsletter and a whole bunch of stuff going on off the podcast over at ZeroToTravel.com. Just sign up over there if you want to keep looped in on the latest content and workshops and different things we're doing. I'll send out a newsletter usually once a week. So sign up over there so you don't miss that. Anyway, I did admit that I am a leaf peeper. Look it up. That's a thing. That's somebody who's totally geeky about just traveling to a place just to look at the fall foliage. And I will do that. I have done that. And something about watching the trees just slowly morphing from green into this technicolor psychedelic looking awesomeness. It's just a good visual reminder that change is happening all around us all the time. And the seasons change within us as well in some ways, even though it's not as perceptible all the time. So I find that fall and and, and this change of scene is always something that turns me back inward thinking, wow, you know, I'm changing too. Like the season might be changing within me. It's just that my skin's not changing color. Wouldn't that be cool? Maybe in the fall, if we all just got like these crazy colors, what color would you be? I don't know. I'm going off on a total tangent. Anyway, in the spirit of change, there was this great quote from Rumi that I found who said, yesterday I was clever, so I wanted to change the world. Today I am wise, so I am changing myself. Love that. And at the core of that, we could say one message is empowerment right? And that gets back to what we're talking about in today's show. One of my big takeaways and a great reminder for myself. And I I wonder if you'll feel the same coming out of uh, this conversation as we're going to get into the interview in a moment. Just this idea that, hey, despite everything going on in the world that seems so much bigger than us all the time, you can remember that you have the power as an individual to affect change. We are not powerless. So take that message to heart after this episode and maybe contemplate on some of the things that you can do to affect change either in your life or to impact others in the world. It's a great exercise, I guess, in just uh, remembering that we can take actions to affect change. And what kind of actions do we want to take today, this week, this month, this year. So that's something we can all think about. And I loved this conversation because we didn't just talk about the love is not tourism movement, which is really important. And we're going to share some specific things you can do 
to uh, support that movement if you're so inclined, which is also very simple actions that you can take. And we also get into, of course, travel and some things like ethnomusicology, which is the study of music from the cultural and social aspects of the people who make it. It's what I read online because I needed to look up what that was. And as I said at the top, this is one of the things I love about this podcast is I get to learn new things all the time. And Krishni's doing a lot of research in some very interesting things that I will never be able to deep dive on. So I get to chat with her and, and learn about that stuff. And you get to listen in and learn as well. So we cover a ton of stuff in this show. I know you're going to dig it. Now let's get into the interview portion of today's episode and stick around on the other side. I'll leave you with a quote as well as a shout out to somebody in this listening community. So be sure to hang out after the interview. Let's get into it and I'll see you on the other side. I'm so excited to be sitting here with Krishni Mativier, who uh, is on my side of the pond here in Europe right now. And her work with the movement Love Is Not Tourism, which is one of the main reasons we, we have you here today. We're going to talk about a lot of stuff. But Love Is Not Tourism is a group advocating for laws that will allow couples and families separated by the current travel restrictions to reunite You're helping to organize petitions and letters and media and social media campaigns alongside several other U.S.-based partners separated from their loved ones abroad. And if you just search the hashtag loveisnottourism, you can find it on social media. And if you go to loveisnottourism.org, you can get more information on how you can support this. Well, anyway, welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friend, first of all. (laughs) Thank you for having me. I wanted to ask you just to give your own explanation of of the movement and why it's important. So the movement is, like you said, it's a movement that developed out of a context um, in which uh, the pandemic spurred travel restrictions uh, across the globe, um, various levels of travel restrictions, depending on what country you're from, depending on whether you're an immigrant or not. Uh, or it, it, it just disrupted the entire travel industry, especially the airline industry. Um, so out of that, many couples who were in binational relationships before the pandemic started um, became separated. So under normal circumstances, we would be able to visit one another, um, maybe not every day, obviously, because it's a long distance relationship. But under normal circumstances, we were able to, um, you know, meet with our partners and our family members as well. So this is not just couples, but it's also families. Um, so depending on where you are, um, certain travel restrictions could be uh, still preventing you from reuniting with the people you love in the most fearful, um, uncertain, definitely most uncertain time and probably many of our lives, especially for those who are younger and maybe not uh, for those who are older. But um, it's certainly distressful time for all of us um, dealing with uh, a health crisis that's unprecedented, dealing with economic crisis as well. Um, and uh, it's it's really a time for us to be together. And so this movement, Love Is Not Tourism, is to emphasize that we are trying to travel not because we simply want to engage in tourist activities, but because we want to be reunited with the ones that we love in a very uncertain time. And we want to know 
Um, if we can't be reunited today, we want to know when we can be reunited. If the pandemic started for many of us, the travel restrictions started for many of us in the middle of, uh, of March 2020, we're already six months in and some of us are still being forcibly separated without any sense of when they will be reunited. Uh, that's a that's a very painful situation. Six months is a long time. People have given birth during this time in separation from their partners um, and from their loved ones. Some people have died. Uh, that's the reality of it. You know, uh, it could be a parent that was um, in the hospital um, getting medical treatment um, with a terminal illness and weren't able to be visited by their adult son or daughter or family member. Partners have lost their loved ones as well. So it's quite a serious matter. Six months is no small amount of time. And so Love Is Not Tourism is a grassroots, absolutely grassroots movement that brings together uh, across nationality, race, sexuality, gender, a group of people who's impacted by these travel restrictions at the most fundamental level. It's hitting us where our heart is. These border closures, these travel bans, um, they're creating an incredible emotional burden and uh, taking a psychological and physical toll on many of us who are in um, a state of separation, indefinite separation. So our hope is to gather ourselves in these various groups in online forms, sometimes in-person protests as well, um, and be advocate for ourselves, advocate for our situations, explain to others what we're going through, try to help them understand, um, and then also petition our individual governments, right, our different states, whether it's the United States, whether it's in Norway or it's in the Czech Republic, talk to those who are supposed to represent us, um, at least democratically, right, who we've elected, and get them to to make an exemption, you know, so that we can come together um, just in a way that it makes sense. It it um, it's safe, right? Whether it's quarantines, testing, the like, but have some means, some pathway forward, um, especially considering we don't really know where the end of this is. This is a different kind of person, right? Like the person that wants to go be reunited with a loved one isn't the typical tourist that's going to, you know, run around the city and see all the sites and intermingle with everybody. And, and like what you're saying is you're not saying, oh, well, the, they should just show up and not have to do anything. I mean, it's like, hey, you can quarantine. There are like rules that can be set up around this, but it's really like, hey, let's figure out, let's just not do a blanket travel ban on everybody because that's, that doesn't work with humanity, right? There are like various situations going on at all times. So I do have some questions for you around like how this affects you personally and in your personal sort of situation. But like, because this is so important and, and I, as soon as I found out about this, I went on and signed the petition that I was able to sign in the US and, and you guys made it super easy to, to support it. I mean, it's just a click and a, you know, a signature. So I really encourage everybody, you know, even if you're not somebody who's separated, you know, you're, you're a kindred spirit when it comes to, you know, nomads and people that are traveling a lot. And I could say pretty safely that people listen to the show are, you know, embracing that citizens of the world type of mentality. So in that spirit, you know, 
Go to hashtag love is not tourism if you're not convinced here and, and just read some of the stories. Like you can read some of the heartbreaking stories of people being separated, like you mentioned, from deaths and, and things like that. And, and real people, real individuals, and that kind of brings it home. And then um, you can go to loveisnottourism.org and you know sign a petition. And is that the big action people should take? I, I just kind of wanted to get right to that. Like what's the number one, if somebody can walk away from this and like you can have them do the exact thing you want them to do, what should they do? Yeah, if I could ask them to do one thing, it certainly would be um, signing a petition. There are many, depending on um, what country you're in. Um, Those petitions are very helpful for governments to see that there's support, that there is a large number of people who understand the situation and would like to see something done. So those petitions have been very helpful for when we go forward and um, begin to directly speak with some of our representatives to say, hey, look, it's not just me. It's also 10,000 other people, too. So, yeah, if you're going to do one thing, go to loveisnottourism.org. Find um, the appropriate country that you're from or that you're based in or that you're a citizen in um, and sign that petition. Yeah. Right on. Cool. Thanks for just you know, sharing this with us today. I do think this is important to get involved for for everybody. So, wh- you know, why is this important to you? Like, how did this become a personal thing for you? Did you were you one of the creators of this movement? Did you somehow get involved in the early stages? Like, how did this affect you personally? Just want to hear a little bit more about you. And then we we're going to get into a lot of questions because you are doing so many. You are studying and researching so many interesting topics. I just read your LinkedIn bio and I had to look up like three different words because I didn't even know what they meant. So I'm like, what what does this mean? How does this work? I was like, oh my god, this is fascinating. So I'm gonna, I'm going to pick Krishni's brain and all kinds of cool stuff today. Why the personal involvement for you with this? Yeah, my personal involvement um, began at the um, I would say at the very end of June, basically. Obviously, that was with my personal involvement with the advocacy work, right? The Love is Not Tourism. And what I noticed at the end of June was that that was really at the time where um, the Facebook groups were just beginning to start. And we were starting to um, notice uh, that Denmark which was the first country to implement laws that allowed for these exemptions, these humanitarian exemptions. Um, We noticed that they had success and that was spurring interest and growth in the movement across Europe. But what I noticed at the end of June um, or sort of mid June was that uh, the movement hadn't really gotten the momentum that it really needed in the United States. And so I'm based in the United States um, as a, you all may know or don't know. I'm a, I go to Duke University, uh, so I'm based in North Carolina. This obviously personally affects me, and um, so I became very interested. I learned through reading a newspaper uh, article online about Love Is Not Tourism. I started to follow a few links to a Google document with all of these resources that were uh, obtained in a in sort of an open source kind of fashion, like everyone contributes. And, and puts everything together to show, um, you know, different letter templates in different languages. And I was just amazed and fascinated about how organized we could become around this issue. Because um, before that time, I think like many of us in this situation, we, we sort of thought, okay, let's wait it out. You know, it happened in March. We knew we were going to be separated. Um, but we, we sort of had the idealistic 
point of view that, you know, maybe in June, you know, we and would you're start kind of to referring to you and your, cause your partner is in Czech Republic and that's my partner's in Republic. Yeah. Yeah. So, and we met through Duke university. He was doing an internship there. Um, and he had already gotten his PhD in philosophy. I am doing my PhD in religious studies and, um, I, it's, you know, it's so funny. This is perfect for this podcast. Um, we met through Airbnb. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Love it. So I, I like to make my home a, a place that can host people from around the world. And I've been doing that for the last couple of years. And I, I started to do that mainly because I received such great hospitality wherever I went and wherever I traveled. Um, so I've lived in Argentina. I've lived in India twice and I've, I've traveled through Europe sort of backpacking and things like that. So yeah, I've got that sort of nomadic background a little bit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> at least. <laughs> so in meeting people from around the world and engaging, um, as best as I can with their culture and, and try to engage in um, a global citizenship of some sort, I, I came to realize that I had been blessed and sort of I just become very humbled and, and grateful for the gifts that I've received every time that I've gone somewhere else in the world. That locals have hosted me, have given me guidance, have sort of shown me the ropes and and also helped me out when I've gotten myself in some really tough situations. Um, so and really were my family when my family wasn't there, you know. So I opened my home to uh, people from China, people from Lebanon, um, people from Europe. And uh, one of the people that came to my home was my current partner. Um, we became we, we just became good friends, actually, um, through that experience while he was there. And. Um, it was actually through long distance communication that able to develop the relationship into um, something more romantic and serious. Um, and, uh, the, the long distance, you know, was complicated, but it wasn't insurmountable for us and it was worth it for us. Um, so, you know, we would, we, we would visit each other. Um, and we had a sort of a pattern of going back and forth and luckily you know, our country is allowed for that. Is he, is he European then? Is he from the Czech Republic? Born and raised in <laughs> the Czech Republic. Yeah. And, um, and I'm, you know, I'm a U.S. citizen, born and raised there from Miami. Yeah. So that's, how, that's how we, we were in a relation, we are in a relationship, but at the time of the pandemic, we were in the sort of beginning of our relationship, um, uh, after several months of being together and, and whatnot. And, uh, then the pandemic kind of, um, you know, like for many of us, just completely ruined all of our plans <laughs> for the summer, for the, the spring. And we really had to readjust our whole life. Um, and uh, I had sort of the insight that what we were doing to China at that time and sort of not letting people from China come to the U.S. and and sort of tra that travel ban just that centered around China at the beginning of March. I had a feeling that that would be um, the case on a global level, but specifically with the United States as the cases were rising and with Europe as cases were rising. So I made a very impromptu decision 
to change a flight that was set for May or, you know, later in the spring. And I, I changed it to March. So I was actually able to come to Europe right before the borders closed. Um, but I couldn't stay here because of, um, I was teaching and just, I had a lot of, uh, you know, loose ends in the United States. So I came, I visited and the situation was just so uncertain that I, I had to ultimately return about 10 days later. Um, but I was very, in hindsight, in May, in June, I was very happy that I took that trip because if I hadn't taken that trip, it would have been an even longer period of separation. So many of, I know many people who have been separated more than six months easily. You know, it's been a year since they've seen their partner. And that's because they, that was the last time they took a trip. Um, this episode is brought to you by U.S. Bank. Recently, I went out for tacos and it wasn't even Friday. Yes, we have Taco Friday in Norway, not Taco Tuesday. Well, more importantly, I could have earned rewards for every scrumptious bite of those chorizo soft shells. Introducing the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. Earn four times points when you go out for dining or order takeout and restaurant delivery, including tacos. Plus, you can earn two times points when you shop for or order your groceries, two times points when you need to fill up or charge up at gas stations and EV charging stations. You're even rewarded with two times points just for your favorite streaming services. Go to usbank.com slash altitude. Go! To learn more about how you can earn 20,000 bonus points worth $200 if you spend $1,000 in the first 90 days of opening your account. Win big with the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. Visit usbank.com slash Altitude Go to apply. Limited time offer. The creditor and issuer of this card is U.S. Bank National Association pursuant to a license from Visa USA, Inc. Some restrictions may apply. This episode of Zero to Travel is presented by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. From muddy jungle paths and snowy trails to rolling sand dunes, the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder has the capability to take you to some of the most epic destinations on Earth. We're excited to partner with Nissan because our listeners know we love to celebrate the joy of exploring the world and finding the best off-the-beaten-path destinations to visit. And there's no better vehicle for that than the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder with seven drive modes. The Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys, and it even has the best towing capacity in its class, up to 6,000 pounds, so you can bring the fun with you. But Nissan also knows that it's not just about where you go. In a Pathfinder, the real fun comes from getting there, and that's something we love celebrating here on the Zero to Travel podcast. We believe that life is about finding that joy within the journey itself, and that's why we're thrilled to partner with Nissan to celebrate adventurers everywhere. So thanks again to Nissan for sponsoring this episode of Zero to Travel and for the reminder to chase bigger, better, more exciting adventures and enjoy the ride along the way. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. So, uh, yeah, so the situation, um, I was fortunate in that regard. Um, but yeah, by by June, I we were in a distressed state we were we were really in a distressed state and we were just so happy to find love is not tourism just to know that there were other people who were going through this that was the first sense of feeling like okay we're not alone um and then we felt empowered because we felt empowered by the sort of activism that we could take up um and the first things that we did was i started a petition in the united states with the white house um sort of through the official channels at the white house 
that petition, unfortunately, that was, um, you know, you need you need to get in a, like 100,000 signatures within a month. We didn't reach that goal. Um, but that's, you know, that's okay. Uh, if we would have met that goal, we would have gotten a response directly from the White House. Um, I believe there is a new White House petition out there um, that was started again by someone else. So that's something that can be signed. Um, that's a really you know, monumental kind of petition that could have real effects and, and could really show a change um, in terms of where we're going on this. So the new deadline, that one is actually September 11th. So it's within a few days. Um, so if people can get behind that, that would be monumental. Um, but we still have the change.org um, petition and a few others. So that's fine as yeah, well. Yeah. I mean, I think it's uh just so empowering to hear your story it just on a personal level how obviously this is affect affecting you and your partner and you're I, listen you and i could commiserate for a while on uh what it's like to be on the skype calls with your partners because i was you know dating my wife when she was in europe uh, living in norway she's norwegian and i was in the u.s and you know that's a, that's a whole other <laughs> no. challenge no. but you know okay. it's nice you kind of yeah when you're in a long distance relationship like that i mean anybody that's even if you're just an hour down the road or, you know, some hours down the road or next state or whatever, you can relate to that whole, like, you know, you kind of always looking forward to the next trip and that's the next thing that kind of gets you through. So it's very easy in today's world, I think, to feel like you can't make a difference. You know, you can be like, oh, this is my situation. There's this pandemic going on and I have this person I love who lives in another country. Oh, this is just terrible. And you're like, well, all right, this is terrible. Let's let's do something about it. <laughs> All right, there's this thing going on. All right, here's what we can do. And like, there are actual actions that you can take. And it, it doesn't mean it's going to work. So anyway, I just commend you for taking control in that way because I think it's like, it's just, a, I think it's inspiring and it's an important reminder for anybody listening. Like, hey, if you're in a situation, whatever it is, like maybe there is something you can do. You know, maybe one person can make a difference. And I know it sounds cliche, but this, uh, you're... Your uh, what you've done exemplifies that. No, it's not cliche. And let me speak to some of your audience um, and listeners who might be in the same situation um, as I am. Let me tell you, you're not powerless. That's the first thing you got to understand. You're not powerless, and you're definitely not alone. And if you're in the situation, and you don't know what to do. Connect, right? Go to Facebook, find our groups. Love is not tourism. Find our group couples. Um, um, I think separated by travel bans. That's another good group and get connected. I mean, we have individuals in our group who are creating documentaries on this. Um, we have individuals who are journalists who are writing about the story and getting that the word out as much as possible. Connect with them. Um, in terms of what I've done in terms of the success that I've seen in my own activism. So I joined in, at the end of June, I was able to come to the Czech Republic by the end of July. And that wasn't by accident. That was directly a consequence of my, my uh, partner here in the Czech Republic organizing and fighting for the exemption and creating a letter. And I kid you not, he used his degree in philosophy to write a very logical and strategic letter that, but he also used some basic techniques of, of uh, gathering other Czechs um, who were in this situation and just organizing us, getting us into a group and having them s sign that letter. And that letter was sent to various representatives and ministries 
here in the Czech Republic. And they were able to get a response. And I, it was amazing within a few, I think it was in a week of that letter um, and getting those signatures and talking with our representatives here, we were able to get a law announced that there was going to be a new exemption created. And then within a few days of that uh, announcement, the the exemption and the process was revealed. And so we, we applied over the weekend, the first weekend after that was um, all announced and the, the, the process was published. And um, we, we were, by the time we applied, it was within 24 hours, we were able to get that, um, that paper from the ministry, um, that it would allow me to come here. Wow. You know, yeah. I never thought, I never thought, uh, this term could ever exist. Can, can we call this romantic bureaucracy? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, can that even be a thing? <laughs> Yes, we were very bureaucratic in our romance. And so it's like this because he's, you know, fighting to get you there. But, uh, but you know, your your point that you can make a difference, I mean, that's, I, I think, like, also, you know, I'm sure with the letter and, and going through all the channels, it's like you're putting a real human story behind it and then people can understand, okay, this is one of many. But in order to make that change, you have to get out and somebody's got to get out and do something, right? Yeah. And, you know, we made it easy for them. We make, we make it easy for the governments, to be honest, because um, the, when we advocate, we advocate alongside uh, the current health precautions. We're not in any way saying, you know, screw these travel bans. They don't, I mean, we're not in any way saying like, we don't believe in the pandemic. We, we're not conspiracy theorists. We're not out here saying no masks or anything like that. We're like, yeah, we'll put on the mask we will pay for our own coronavirus tests because honestly for us, it's in most of the time, it's a matter of uh, it's, it's so important and deeply rooted in our most fundamental aspects of our life, our relationships with the people we absolutely love. I mean, this is our family. We are more than willing to quarantine. If you want to quarantine us when we arrive, or uh, for 14 days, we will happily do that. We And we tell the governments and we tell these um, administrations and representatives like, hey, you want to test us before, after, during? We're all on board, to be honest. We're all on board. Because uh, if we get to see our family member um, at, in a hospital as they're going through, fighting through something that um, you is incomprehensible, is unimaginable, you know, is going through something you know, terrible. We want to be right there, right next to them by their side as they go through it. I mean, that's the power of love. And that's why love is not tourism. And that's why love is essential. That's another one of our hashtags. Love is essential yeah. because it really is essential. We we need food. You know, think of like Maslow's uh, hierarchy of needs, right? Their love and relationships is a part of that. It's not just shelter and food. Um, we also depend upon our community, our social um you know, bonds. And these are the most important bonds and they're being really stressed by this situation. So, um, we're willing, we're more than willing and we're willing to, um, to, to kind of state that and be upfront about it, that, uh, we want to be safe and we want to not disrupt or make the situation worse. We just, we just need an exemption and, um, with some safety protocols in place and it's already been done. I think, let's see how many countries have already, um, at least done something to implement these exemption laws. We've got 11 so far. Yeah. 
So it's it is working, and you know you're inspiring me too because one of the situations that's affected me personally is like my parents don't know when they're going to be able to see their grandkids again, and if you're a Norwegian citizen, you can come and love like certain loved ones can come, and there are rules around that, but not necessarily family to see their grandkids. Oddly, so like there's all these weird sort of rules people are kind of so I I think I just need to maybe I need to borrow your partner and have him write a letter for me or something. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like he was pretty good at that. Well, the thing is that Norway is very receptive. It was number two on the list. So, yeah, I just you know, need I just need to I just need to bang out a letter and send it send it over. Why not? Can't hurt, right? Not? You know, you mentioned uh, one thing that I wanted to point out that I think was a good practical tip for this type of thing, whether it's grassroots activism or anything. You know, make it easy for somebody to participate. You know, and and that goes for like business like life if you're asking a friend a favor you know like hey you want to help you can help me move i'll feed you and buy you pizza you know like it's just like make it easy for them and the chances are like you have a better chance at things kind of working out in your favor i feel um and you also mentioned before a term that i i had never i don't know if it's a, a official term but you mentioned these humanitarian exemptions and i mean shouldn't that be like like a part of every law ever, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, shouldn't that be like a byline in like almost every law? It, it just seems like common sense. Yeah. I mean, there's a reason why we have the term human rights and the United Nation has put out what is, what are human rights? You know, have they, they've put out these, um, these sort of codes that are supposed to be globally respected um, and nations have signed on to already. And part of that is, you know, the right, uh, the right to build a family is actually on that list to have relationships that the governments will not get in the way of that. You know, they won't tell you who you can marry, when you'll marry, won't, will you marry things like that? You know, those are things that are human rights. That's the individual's choice. Um, you know, we have a right to self-determination. One thing that I think is interesting from an, if I can just go into my scholarly perspective for a moment, um, I'm observing within the groups, uh, a lot of people having to make a tough choice, um, which is, you know, to get married, um, sort of impromptu, not impromptu, but in a, in a circumstance, in a situation where they not, they may not necessarily have made that, that choice so quickly. Like, you know, um, marriage has consequences, right? It is a legal contract. It's, it's binding in many ways. It has a lot of consequences. And we, we know that, you know, I, I just want to be objective for a moment here. We know that the, you know, the divorce rate is extremely, it's quite high in the Western world, parts of the world. Um, and I, I just think that, you know, to be in a pandemic with an economic crisis um, and then to become a newly wedded couple uh, that's a lot. You know, the, it may be a happy, it may be a very happy moment in that person's life, but um, that's still a stressor. I mean, psychology has told us that there are happy stresses and there are sort of, um, you know, not so happy stressors, um, but that's all taking a toll on the body and the mind. And I, I just don't think that it, it makes sense that the governments would put people in a situation where they have to, in order to see one another, in order to continue the relationship, they have to get married. Um, I, I do think that that's 
problematic from an ethical point of view, but then also on a, a sort of thinking about the sociological consequences, perhaps the individuals, you know, what, what they're, what they're truly want for their life and what they desire. And also, is it even possible? Because if you're in a, uh, a relationship, a same sex relationship, and you're in a country that doesn't allow same sex partnerships, that's not even an avenue that you can consider. Um, so I think, you know, we have to be nuanced in our thinking. Um, and I think governments need to think very clearly and carefully about the, the sort of pressures and consequences um, that are unfolding because of these travel restrictions. Um, it, six months in, we've had a lot of time to think about it, to see the consequences play out. Um, and it, you know, there's no, there's no um, reason for us not to uh, start to implement these exemptions and to do them in a safe way. Um, I think that they, they're beneficial to the individual and they're probably going to have long-term consequences that are, will be very beneficial for society's health. Um, How did your travel experiences change you? Like, did they, did they lead to some of the things you're studying now? Are they tied in with that at all? Or was that something else with your upbringing? You know, my own personal intellectual history and my scholarship and, you know, what I've liked to study over time, it's not a straightforward narrative. And we don't have a very good, like, um, models in our culture and our society to, to, um, immediately recognize and understand my life, <laughs> which is part of what my research is doing right now is to try to create some of those, um, those inroads so that we can begin to think and understand and appreciate, uh, some of the cultural complexities of our society. Hmm. Right. Um, speaking of cultural complexities, some of the places that I've learned, um, about, uh, these complexities have been in my travels, right? So when I was in my sophomore year, I went to Argentina for a semester. And um, why, why did you choose Argentina? <laughs> I have to laugh a little bit because I chose Argentina um, because as a sophomore, I could go to Argentina <laughs> with um, without having to take like an extra year of a language. Um, so I studied Spanish for a year at um, my university and then I was able to get into that program. So I, I went to college almost wholly on the desire to be able to travel. And for me as a person, you know, growing up with just a very average economic background, maybe even below average in some ways um, and, and not, not having uh, you know, in immense unlimited resources, I, I saw myself as being able to, you know, reach that goal of traveling the world, experiencing other people and other cultures by going to college. And uh, so I pursued that with that dream in mind that I would travel um, because I had heard, you know, you could get scholarships and, you know, there's study abroad programs. And I was like, okay, I'll just get to college and then I'll figure it out once I'm there, you know, like just one step at a time. And I'm just, a, I'm just a teenager. I'm just in high school trying to figure things out and working at party city and working at gas stations, just making, you know, some little money to pay my car insurance and gas and stuff like that. Um, so, you know, I, I, I don't have the world figured out, but <laughs> I get to college, I'm studying polit uh, political science because I care about our governments and our systems. And I, I want to see 
things better for more for more people. And I think you know maybe addressing the system would be a good way to start. Absolutely. Um, so probably the best place to start, right? <laughs> like yeah, let's with government like that. That may I to me I thought that will help the most people. Um, and so why not? And my mom, you know, she, she went to law school and she went to law school for very similar reasons and studied international law actually. Um, and she worked with the NAACP when I was growing up. And, uh, so through her, I saw that, you know, through law and through politics, you can be an advocate for others. So I was inspired. And, um, I, I went, I went to, I went for Argentina because it was the first available option. And I was like, I'm going to take it. <laughs> <laughs> Let's they go. speak the best Spanish wow. down there. I love the way they speak Spanish. It's beautiful. <laughs> it's so. Um, so then I ended up in Buenos Aires, and uh, I was there, and um, you know, it was just, it was one of the amazing things that I learned when I was in Buenos Aires was about carteneros, which are the trash picker picking community that arose out of an economic crisis in Argentina. Um, they, uh, are, they, at the time were somewhat unofficial in the sense that they weren't necessarily, um, within the, the, the structure of, of government, um, public services. And so they, they, they self-organized, they organized themselves into cooperativas and they, uh, were able to advocate for themselves and, so while I was down there, I, I met them. Um, I learned about their life. I and created a short documentary, which is on YouTube. Um, <laughs> and um, it's uh, you know the name is a little. Uh, it's uh, you know what I always forget the name because I we chose something that was really obscure. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. And we we can link to it in the in the show notes if you send me the link. So. Yeah, I, it's it's very Argentinian, so you'll you'll understand it when you see it. Um, and I always want to say it's Awanile, which is a, a song that I love, but it's not, <laughs> and I know that. Um, so I always get it mixed up in my mind. I have a really bad memory, actually, when it comes to names and stuff, even my own stuff. So, anyways, I'll send it to you so you can have it. But um, so it's about carteneros and what. What I found intriguing and interesting about them was that they were creating, they were actually sustainable workers. They were working for the environment, although they weren't very appreciated because they were taking out all the recyclables and recycling them and making money through that. Um, so my friend and I, we went back in the summer to Argentina to do a project with them and we had a grant to do it. And while I was there, so this is where we get to how I get onto my trajectory towards my, my current research path. Um, while I was there, I, I went to a Hindu temple um, down in Buenos Aires in Argentina. Of South all America. places, right? All places. And it was just, to me, it was just so incredible to see this, these meditations going on, mantra chanting, um, communal musical uh, worship, ritual worship and whatnot, um, expressions of love and devotion. Um, being done by Argentinians, being run by Argentinians, um, but they were also uh, to what we would traditionally think of as like Hindu gods, to um, particularly Radha and Krishna. And my name is Krishni, and it just you know it's it's not um, by accident that I was named Krishni. My mother and my father, who are not Indian and they're not 
um, what you would traditionally think of as like nationally Hindu. Um, they uh, engaged in uh, Eastern religious philosophy. They learned about it and engaged in the embodied the practices uh, of, of worship um, within that lineage, um, thinking of a Hindu lineage traditions coming from India, from ancient India and whatnot. And so I was given that name, named after uh, the Hindu god Krishna. Um, it's a name for God. Um, and uh, so I was named Krishni. <laughs> so anyways, I throughout my life, I've had all these kind of encounters where people are like, Krishni, isn't that like Krishna? And and so it's just like a reoccurring theme in my life that comes up occasionally. And so it came up when I was in Argentina, um, you know, and I wanted to go to that temple and, and you know, it, we connected on that. We connected on our sort of our complexities, you know, that we, we weren't what you would typically think of as Hindus or we weren't typically the people you think would be practicing mantra meditation and doing um, what's called kirtan, which is singing these devotional chants that are really beautiful um, and they're improvised and they're done sort of with this audience feedback and participation. So, uh, so you know, it's like seeing that over and over again, I started to just become more curious. I'm just curious. I'm like, what? how did this get all the way down here? <laughs> And, you know, and like, why does this keep coming up in my life? So, and, um, you know, it just led me to start studying Sanskrit text. It led me to go to Harvard and to study, uh, to learn a little bit of Sanskrit so I could start to at least have a basic, you know, level of interpretation of uh, some of the, uh, one of the most uh, profound philosophical texts that comes out of India, the Bhagavad Gita. Um, and, you know, I just kept meeting people, more and more people, and I just kept wanting to, you know, learn more. And over time, it just uh, cascaded. That's the best way to put it, just kind of cascaded into my current life, which is, you know, doing a PhD in South Asian religions. Right. <laughs> Not where I thought I was going when wow. I was 17 years old. <laughs> no. I think it can be easy to, like, not follow it because it can be seen as, um, oh, okay, well, like, I can't re really make a living out of this or this isn't productive or no, I have to be this. I have to fit into this box or I have to work in this cubicle. Cause that's like what I'm supposed to do. Did you ever have any worries about that stuff? Or were you always just like, Hey, I'm okay. Yeah, I see some. Yes. Some <laughs> How did you overcome the, that? Uh, oh yeah. I've had a lot of, uh, worry. I've had plenty of times in my life where I've been worried. I've been anxious. I've even said to my, you know, said to myself and, unfortunate moments you know like what are we doing <laughs> where are we right now like how did we get here and you know and just wondered like man shouldn't I have just gotten a degree in computer science like my brothers you know like dang that would have been the life <laughs> so there have been moments where of course I've thought to myself like yeah why religious studies and why you know this sort of thinking about ancient and modern um, manifestations of religiosity in India and globalization, you know, from moving from India to the United States and Europe and all the consequences and implications of that. Um, but how did I overcome it? Well, you know, in my life, I have honestly felt the most balanced and the most um, steadfast 
when I do engage in my own personal um, meditation practice, honestly, I, and I was the, I would tell you, I'm the first to admit that I'm the person who, you know, if you try to get me to sit down and meditate, when I first started, when if you try to get me to sit down and meditate, my mind goes like a million miles an hour. And I just have so many thoughts going through my head all the time. You know, I just have this like jitteriness, like I got to go, I got to do something. So meditation didn't seem like the something that just naturally goes with my personality. Um, but through it, it's actually very focusing. It's It helps me to have a very clear understanding of what I'm doing, why I'm doing it, and get the focus that I need to drive my energy towards something. And I've practiced a lot of different kinds of meditations, and it's not, to me, um, they've all been useful and productive for my life, for organizing it, for overcoming things, um, especially when it comes to fear and anxiety. So to be perfectly honest, that's where I go to when I have no where else to go. Um, and, and using sound mantra meditation, but, uh, you know, sound kirtans, bhajans, these things can be looked up. Um, you know, this sort of communal chanting, has, they, these things have really helped me, um, especially in this pandemic, especially in a time when it's, it's, you know, I've lost a lot of things. I've regained a lot of things, but I definitely lost them too at the, at the same time. Um, it's been very helpful, but, um, other than that, if a person's not so inclined towards those things, you know, I've also, I, I've had a lot of optimism, um, support from other people, you know, surround yourself with people who, who are visionary, who can think outside the box and can encourage you. And, oh, and also if, if you don't have living people, then Find people who have lived before you. The his, history, you know, our history has so many examples of people who have overcome situations that we may not be able to even fathom in today's age, you know. And just knowing about those people is super inspiring for me. Um, it, it just gives me that hope and that courage to, like, keep going. Um and then after some time, I guess when you get older and you've seen it worked out, like work out so many times, you can look back at your own life and, and say, you know what? Um, it's worked out before. I bet it's going to work out again. <laughs> Would you love to have an incredible cup of coffee every day? I've tried it all. I've done the pour over. I've done the French press. But I tasted an AeroPress coffee many years ago and <laughs> immediately... I was sold. I had to get one. AeroPress is a patented three-in-one brew technology. This combines the flavor benefits of espresso, pour-over, and French press all into one compact portable device built for travel or home. I love things you can use in both places. This device has over 55,000 five-star reviews in over 60 countries. AeroPress is the best-reviewed coffee press on the planet. I've owned one for so many years. I don't even remember how long it's been, and they are under 50 bucks, so they also make an exceptional gift, thoughtful, proven, tasty, and travel-oriented. Who wouldn't love that? Now, you get 20% off just for being a listener of this show at aeropress.com slash zero to travel. That's aeropress, A-E-R-O-P-R-E-S-S dot com slash zero to travel. That will save you 20% on checkout. Thanks to Aeropress for supporting today's show. 
Hey, it's Jason here. Did you know you are invited to join the first ever Zero to Travel community trip? Yes, we're planning a trip together. We're headed to Morocco November 30th through December 9th. And you can get all the details at zerototravel.com slash trip. It's open for booking now. We have 13 spots left at the time of this recording. And you have until the end of March to book. So if you're interested in traveling with an amazing community, this community, a small group of people on an incredible journey through Morocco together with me, sign up over there at zerototravel.com slash trip to get all the details. Thanks for listening and hope to see you there. I love that you brought up the fact that like, yeah, I mean, you could of course read a book by somebody who's, I feel like you could have a mentor even if they've passed on but they've written this incredible book. I mean, there are a lot of people out there that, you know, not necessarily religious or spiritual, but you might be able to get that from having a mentor from some other source, I guess. I'm with you. I mean, you mentioned the meditation, but I'm I'm a fan of mysticism and the mystics and Eastern philosophy. And, you know, I think to kind of push through and live a more unconventional life, I, I guess I'd say I have, uh, if you had to like define define it, what does that mean? Who knows? It means something different to everybody. My version of unconventional, you know, growing up from in the suburbs of Philadelphia is going to be different from, you know, somebody else's. But when you follow your curiosity and then you're you're allowing that to like dictate your career trajectory or, or your work path, which is it's really hard to say it's a career, I think, when you're doing that because you don't really know where things are going. I think it's important to believe in yourself, but like Maybe and maybe you can relate to this. I'm I'm guessing just from what you study and what you've said. Like for me, there's like this element of spirituality too, where it's like, okay, I also have to have the belief and the faith that, like, like I said, either things are going to work out or like that if I if I put good things into the world, good things will happen. And these are like these sort of esoteric, completely unpractical, like sounding things. It's like, well, you can't run a successful business by just. Uh, you know, believe, or you can't, you know, you can't like make a decent living just by believing that things are going to work out. But it's like, for me, it's like, it is a part of the process, you know, like in order to get to certain steps and to like do certain types of work and to choose certain types of work, I have to kind of embrace those, what what I would maybe mystical ideas or some of these sort of hard to put a finger on things. You know, and they're, to be honest, they're kind of like this, these timeless nuggets of wisdom that kind of get down through various channels and means. And, you know, we sometimes call them esoteric, we call them spirituality, we call it religion, we call it belief, faith, um, we can call it philosophy even. And, but, you know, one thing I've learned uh, is that when, when something is mystical um, and something is a little esoteric, to me, its validity lies in its execution. And by that, I mean that in the lived experience of doing and following it, you gain, an ex- you gain a realization and an understanding of it that you could not have acquired through just theoretical um, manipulations in your mind. And I'm a very mental person in the sense that I do a lot of things and come to a lot of ideas through my mental processes. Like I, I will think through something. Um, and if anything, I've been, I've been taught and I've learned that there are certain, um, there are certain realizations that you get through the embodied practice 
of something. That is a very mystical idea, and that is a very esoteric. It goes into the esoteric, um, but it's it's just kind of true on 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 certain levels that we can think of, um, like riding a bike. You know, like I tell you the ins and outs of it theoretically, but the experience of it is a little bit different. The experience of flying is a little bit different than what I can communicate through my words. Um, the experience of being in the ocean, like swimming, is a little bit different than if I just tell you about what's swimming like. I mean, you get a sense of it, but to know what the feeling is of water washing over you over and over again, the sounds and the smells, I mean, there's just something about that that um, eludes just thought and words. Yeah, that, that um, embodiment gets you, gets your mind out of the way. In, in some exactly in some way, and you do sometimes you get your mind out of the yeah, way. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think it's yeah, like it's it's so, yeah, yeah it's easy to think through things. I mean, there are some obvious things like uh, you could say, well, yeah, you really can't think through that because you got to do it. But then some things, it's like you could think through them. But then sometimes I think it's it's better to just not think through everything and just do, like you said. I mean, it, it's something something happens. Anything you could do to get your get your brain out of the way, basically, right? <laughs> yeah, get an experience. Like I, yeah, I mean, just get an experience. What can I say? And, well, this um, is like travel. Some, you can think through the whole trip, and then you could even think oh, yourself out of things, right? And then you oh, have to yeah. just go have the journey. Oh my God! Yeah, traveling is is an act of of courage. It is, and it's an act that is that you overcome a lot of hurdles every time you travel. Isn't it true? Like just the organization of it, the, you know, going through visas and all kinds of border controls and things like that. It's a whole journey. And there's a lot of uncertainty and unexpected things that come up in travel and you, you learn through it and you want that experience. In fact, and it's an embodied experience. And I think if you just, if you talk to anybody who's a traveler, I don't think any of them would say that thinking about traveling and hearing about traveling is the same as traveling. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, they're two different things. And um, yeah, don't you know? Uh, you can think yourself out of traveling. It's easy. I see. I see people. I see people in my own family. You know, friends. And what is there to learn out there? And what do I? You know, life is comfortable here. And um, you know, it's dangerous out there. I've heard things about that place and those people. And um, you know, it's, it, there's something to be said about going out and just doing something, um, and coming to your conclusion, maybe from that experience, you know, having that experience first. <laughs> yeah. How do you push your comfort zone? <laughs> I like your questions, Jason. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> the ultimate compliment <laughs> for a podcaster, right? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> push your comfort zone oh gosh um you know it's pretty easy actually because we know what makes us uncomfortable mm. because it happens almost immediately like we think of something and we have this feeling of fear of anxiety so it's actually pretty easy to figure out what we don't like um and to overcome that is taking that thing which you initially are afraid of and you say, okay, I'm afraid of this. Um, I recognize that and I accept that. And um, so when are we leaving? When are we going to go? <laughs> like, when are we going to do that thing? Like, you you make a conscious choice to say, like, 
I'm going to, I'm going to do this. Like we're, we're going to do that thing. And I know that you're afraid and I accept that I'm afraid and that this is going to be uncomfortable for me. And I'll, for me, my best example is, um, with salsa dancing. I mean, I'm, I may not sound like it, but I'm actually an introvert. <laughs> um, and you know, in, it, it's obvious from my career choice that I am an introvert though, to me, um, considering it's very isolating work. But um, so the idea of dancing with others and learning to dance, even though I love seeing people dance and I was so inspired by watching other dance, good dancers dancing with each other, the actual act of going to a class and holding some stranger's hands um, really didn't like sit well with me, you yeah, know? Right. I didn't want to do that, but like, yeah, like you can easily like fantasize the, the fun part of it, right? Like I'm out there, you know? doing awesome moves and I'm into the thing, but then like there's the reality, right? Like you have to walk up to a stranger. You have to show up in a room. You don't know people. You have to like stumble through those steps. Yes. You have to publicly stumble through steps. Right. And that is embarrassing. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and you, you go through the experience and you know, it's embarrassing and then you have to convince yourself to do it again. And you're like, what? Why? <laughs> so that's very discomforting, but you know, have a goal in mind, right? Have a vision. Like I want to experience that feeling that that person I saw has when they're dancing on that stage or they're just dancing with someone else in that room. Um, and so you have to kind of have like a kind of a heart to heart with yourself, you know, like if you want to get there, here's what you're going to have to do. Like, I'm sorry to tell you, but this, I'm sorry to break it to you, but this is what we're going to have to do. And, um, and it's going to be okay. Like it's going to be uncomfortable for a little while, a little while, you know, like a new country is uncomfortable. Um, every time I've gone to a new country, I've had, uh, some kind of culture shock experience, whether they speak the language or they don't, you know, like whether I speak their language or they speak the language that I know. And, you know, it doesn't matter. Like each society and place has been a little different and I've had to learn something and I've had to adjust and it's always uncomfortable for me in the beginning because I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a sensitive person, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, yeah, I love yeah. that, though. It's, you know, like you said, it's just acknowledging the fear, like not ignoring it. Right. And just accepting that being uncomfortable is going to be a part of this and then moving forward anyway. And that's the process. You got to understand that's the process for everybody. I mean, nobody, nobody comes out of the womb salsing. Right. <laughs> in perfect time like everybody kind of had to go through the the learning process i do think like if you can embrace like being in that uncomfortable place while you're learning it just makes the process so much more enjoyable you know yeah learn to say good things to yourself while you're going through it like don't beat yourself on the head every time you you didn't on that you know, you didn't step on the beat or you didn't catch that rhythm or whatever it is. Don't you, that's something I actually had to really try to get through and, and reform my thoughts, reform my mind and, and my thinking about it. And that they literally try to embrace that this is uncomfortable. Yep. It's uncomfortable. Um, I didn't get that move. And then just laugh, like literally just start laughing at yourself in the middle of the class or, you know, <laughs> whether it's like, a salsa class or what, you know, you're trying to learn physics or something or whatever it could be. Um, it's, you know, embrace your mistakes and get, try to find the joy in it because it's part of it. It's probably not going to go away anytime soon. 
Um, and that, that's just, you know, learning the process of acceptance and that involves self-acceptance that I'm new, I'm new and I'm learning and, um, I'm not going to get it right every time. And sometimes that feels sad, but can there, can there still be some kind of joy in that too? Like I just fell on my face. Okay. <laughs> like, yeah. Right. Was, Laugh at like, yourself. Oh, this, yeah. Just laughing. You're so like, man, that was so difficult. Um, yeah. Okay. I'm going to try that again because I really, <laughs> I messed up. Right. Yeah. I mean, you can think about, uh, nobody's uh, oftentimes it's, it's sadly true that, you know, nobody will, would ever talk to you as meanly as you talk to yourself sometimes. Right. What you said, find the joy in, uh, in the mistakes. That's, uh, that could be like a good meditation mantra for me this week. Right. I'll, I'll steal that one. <laughs> Find the joy in your mistakes. Everybody's going to make mistakes. Ethnomusicology, this was a fascinating thing I, I, I never heard about, and I saw something that you're involved with, so I, I looked up the definitions. The study of music from the cultural and social aspects of the people who make it. That's like the, the sort of the short version of it. What, yeah, what does music mean to you? Like, How does this end up in the mix of like many of the interesting things that you're doing? <laughs> Uh, you know, it also started with the experience of sound and making sound too, um, music making. So through meditations, I also learned that these mantras can be paired with um, musical accompaniment. And there is this when they're performed or when they're um, when they're I want to say manifested, but yeah, manifested live, you know, when they're when when there's a live embodiment of this mantra chanting with a group, it's it's just an entirely different experience than um, just let's say just listening to a song. You know, there's always something different about group experiences and and living them with your full body. Um, and so going through that, what's called kirtan, which is you know the use of these devotional mantras, these chants that are meant to. Um, really help you transcend the mind, but also give you an experience of transcendence, something beyond just your everyday life experience, you know, going, being a part of that in my research, you know, researching these communities as from an ethnographic point of view. So, and let me go back a little bit. So as an, I'm not an anthropologist, but I use the methodologies of anthropology. Anthropology is the study of people. The methodology that's most commonly used is called ethnography. It's the writing about culture um, and it's the going to the local place and it's situating yourself in that place of the people you're trying to study, live with them, try to, you know, uh, comprehend their life, learn the language if you can, and um, try to communicate what you've learned about something there to people who are not there. You know, that's basically what ethnography is about. Um, and it's a process of translation, you know, so you don't... you. You know, there's going to always be a mistranslation in there, but you, you do your best. So in the process, this process of translating these experiences that I was having by just going to temples out of my curiosity, out of my desire to learn more and trying to translate them to academics, scholars, students, other people who weren't there. Um, I got experiences of uh, the cultural, the making of music, of devotional sound the embodiment of mantra and meditation and what, how do you create that experience? What happens while you're there in that experience? And so my desire to 
communicate that, express that, try to give even a droplet of that experience to other people um, drove me into ethnomusicology, which mm. is, you know, trying to figure out what, how do I, com- how do I take something that's sound and then try to communicate it in a written format? Yeah, for, that for sounds instance, very challenging, right. Yeah. And how do I also translate an experience that is lived, that's improvised? There's no written sheet music. You know, you don't know what's going to happen next. You're participating in it. The person next to you has, you know, uh, a little hand drum or they have cymbals or they have little shakers. And there's all this layering of sound and reaction and listening. It's a full body experience. Um, how do I communicate what it feels like to be in that space at that moment to anybody. And also what, what kind of things happen before and after. Um, yeah, it's, that was why I got into ethnomusicology and is to try to figure out how to, to express that. And I think when you go into writing, I think actually the best way to express it is a very subjective experience of it. Um, I could talk about the technicalities, right? Like I could talk about the musical notes that were hit at this time and this place. And I could talk about, you know, the timber of that sound and, you know, the sort of notes that it hits and the flow of it and all, you know, I could get into the technicality of it, right? That that's, that's one angle at it. But does that help you understand what happened to me while I was there? You're trying to translate the experience. Exactly. I was more interested in translating the experience and, and also how is it, you know, maybe how is it created? Why is it created? You know, things like that. And when it came to translating the experience, I actually found that uh, a very subjective, metaphoric, uh, almost um, fictionalized version of it was more helpful to get you to have the experience that I felt inside of me, like literally reverberating on my skin Um, or to get the experience of the person next to me, even, you know, the way that they would talk about it, you know, the sound, it was like buzzing like bees in my ears, you know, or, you know, I might, I could feel my skin becoming cold and my hands becoming, feeling like, uh, like little pins or electricity kind of running through. So utilizing this kind of language is actually very helpful to transmit that, experience that lives in my head and get it into your head, you know? Yeah. Wow. That sounds powerful. You know, coincidentally, I'm, um, I'm moving in like three weeks and right on the path, uh, from our like subway to our home, there's a Hindu temple here in, in Norway. And, uh, I've been thinking, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to go down there and, and pop in and see what the experience is, is like. And I, I don't quite know, um, how that's going to work or how to get involved, but um, I'm going to get out of my comfort zone and just go in and see. So any, any advice for me? (laughs) Yeah, My advice would be to, you know, try to find their website and just try to go during a time um, when they might mention, you know, they're doing their, um, their offerings, you know, they'll, they usually mention it um, as, you know, it could be something like Kirtan or Bajan if you want the musical aspect. Um, but yeah, go and see what times they're, they're open. Cause there are certain times of the day generally at Hindu temples where they'll do the, the, the sort of offerings and ritualistic practices and, um, and we'll have what's called darshan. And so you can have the full experience by going at those times. If you go during outside of those times, you might 
you'll have a, a quieter experience. It's, yeah. a, it's an experience of its own. I've been encouraging people to, um, you know, get out and, and getting into the travel mindset can happen anywhere, like right out your front door, right? And you get that that feeling. So, I mean, something like that, that would be like, I mean, I live in a foreign country, I know, but it's my everyday life. But it's it's uh, going to a Hindu temple one way, but uh, one day might be like the same sort of feeling of like, I don't know what's going to happen. That sort of feeling you get when you're on the road and you don't know where the day is going to take you or what the experience is going to be. And I mean, you can find these types of things all over uh, the world and all over your backyard, most likely. So, um, yeah, travel at home too. Travel you know, at like home. I could just keep talking to you for a very long time, but I feel like I do have to respect your time. I'm sure you got other things to do today. I, I really hope you guys, you and your partner, you can come through Norway or we can come through there and we could do like another version of this in a, in person, sit down and hang out yeah. and have a chat. This was super fun. Yes, absolutely. I enjoyed it so much. I didn't know what to expect. I had my own anxieties about it, but oh, hey, yeah. I showed <laughs> it just so happened that you're a completely awesome guy. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. You're a you're an incredibly awesome woman. So, thank you for all the work you've been doing to to help uh, reunite people. We should mention again, loveisnottourism.org. Uh, is the website to go to to support the movement and find the petitions and you can see you can track the progress see what countries are making progress and like chances are if you're a traveler you're listening to this either you or probably somebody you know is been affected by the travel ban so let's uh let's get those humanitarian exemptions in place right and um figure out some solutions this is a new situation so i understand where these bands are coming from, but now it's time to tweak and get things sort of sorted from the from the human perspective, right? Is there anything else you'd like to share, Krishni? Like just about where people can find your work, if you want to share some stuff like that, or really anything? Yeah, anything. Um, well, I, I, I'm sort of, uh, I'm wherever you can find me, you know, in the sense that wherever you can search my name, Krishni Medivir is probably where you can find me. I've got you know, I have a recent article out um, that I wrote over the summer um, in um, Inside Higher Ed, um, which is online, and it's about anti-racism in higher education. Um, if people are interested in that, they can go check that out. If they want to follow me on Twitter, um, that's fine. Just kind of search my name. Um, and I mean... I, I don't feel any need to um, be in the center of anything. I just want to inspire people. Um, and so if people felt inspired to do something in their life a little different, try something, explore something, um, help out with love is not tourism, then I think, you know, I'm happy to kind of fade into the background <laughs> and just my way and say thank you. And I'm so grateful to you and your listeners for having me and um, holding me in your hearts for this moment, you know, and, um, I wish everyone the best, and I, I hope that uh, you all find joy and happiness um, in whatever you're going through. And can, find a way I, to move. Through. You know, talk about uh, sort of these esoteric experiences or whatever. I can say that I can feel the beauty in your soul uh, just from sitting here with you, even though we're through the uh, Skype connection here. So, um, and we will link to this article: the envisioning higher education as anti-racist and other. Uh, monumentally important thing that you're working on and you're you're actively putting out there. 
I actually read through the article right before our interview and I, I need to read through it again. And um, we'll link to that because I want people to check that out as well. Another kind of going back to your roots there of like, hey, what can we do to fix some of these systems and make everything equitable and, and fair all around? So you're an awesome person. <laughs> and uh, let's stay in touch. Yeah, let's do that. Thank you so much, Jason. All right. Thanks for your time. Take care. Bye-bye. There you have it. Thanks once again to Krishni for stopping by the show, giving us her time and sharing everything about the Love Is Not Tourism movement. Don't forget, if you want to support that movement, loveisnottourism.org. Very easy to go on there and just sign some petitions. And I mean, I did it. It literally takes... I think I took like three minutes or something. So if you're coming out of this show, as I said at the top, and you're thinking, wow, yes, this is a great reminder that I can affect change as an individual. I am not powerless. Individuals do matter, and our actions as individuals make a difference. Exercise your power as an individual. Help out with the Love is Not Tourism movement. Uh, Get out and vote if you're in the States and there's an election coming up. Do the things that you can do as an individual and you know maybe do some things you didn't think you could do and and go for them. I was really inspired by the story that uh, Krishni shared about her partner writing the letter and and basically helping her to get over into Europe during this time. And it's just like, wow, that's that's something that you can do. You know, you don't know if it's going to work, but it can work. And that was just really empowering, I thought, uh, as a reminder that we are full of power when we choose to accept that as a reality and exercise that power. So some things that I took away from this show. And I want to leave you with a shout out and a quote in just a moment. I do want to say a quick thank you to Home Exchange once again for supporting today's show, homeexchange.com. You're going to get 10% off after you sign up with the promo code 010 just for being a listener of this show. This is a home exchange platform, not just a home exchange platform. It's the number one home exchange platform in the world. It's a community, really, a trusted home exchange community that offers authentic, responsible, and affordable holiday opportunities for everyone to enjoy. They really want to open up the tourism industry by offering something more. And staying in paid accommodation is increasingly perceived as kind of cold and impersonal. So Home Exchange offers a whole new experience. You get to stay in real, authentic homes and feel welcomed as guests. And it's not like you're doing a blind exchange. I mean, again, this is a community. So you are in touch with anybody who stays in your home or whose home you stay in, and you get to know each other. And also there are, uh, of course, practices that Home Exchange has implemented in terms of safety and making sure that everybody's been I identified and verified in terms of their identity, their address, their contact details, and so on. So you can hop in, sign up, and immediately access 400,000 homes in 187 countries around the world. You know, last year, 3.3 million nights, million, were stayed in home exchanges. And I can't emphasize enough that this is a community, another unique way to travel. So Don't wait until you can travel internationally again because you might be able to do some exchanges right in your backyard. I know a lot of people are doing the staycation thing and not going very far. It doesn't mean you can't do home exchanges. So check them out, homeexchange.com. Don't forget that promo code 010 
when you make your first exchange, you pay the annual fee, you'll get 10% off just by using that promo code. Thanks again to them for supporting today's show. Now I've got a shout out before I let you go to a new listener, Julie. She said, hey, Jason, I recently discovered your site and podcast and I have loved diving in. Thanks for providing awesome content. Very excited to have found this community and info. Just a couple weeks ago, I embraced a nomadic work remote lifestyle, sold my house in Phoenix, living with my puppy on the road. Good times. Anyway, just wanted to drop a note and say that I'm enjoying it. Julie. Thanks, Julie. Come on. You know. I'm. You know what I'm going to say now. I love getting messages, reviews, emails from anybody out there listening right now. If that's you and you haven't checked in to say hi, please drop me a line, jason at zerototravel.com. Leave a review if you got time. I always read all of those, read all the emails. Uh, you know, Open up the audio app on your phone. Send me a video message or an audio message. Send me some pictures out there on the road. Ask a question. Just let me know what you're up to. I'm taking all this in because I really want this to be a two-way conversation. I know I'm sitting in a small booth in my co-working space with a microphone, seemingly talking to myself, if anybody walks by and they look in, like, oh, there's a dude on a microphone just talking to himself. But I don't feel that way. Every time I turn this mic on and I uh, get get into podcasting mode, I just get excited because I know I'm talking to uh, a whole bunch of amazing people out there in the world, you being one of them. So I truly can't thank you enough for being here and being a part of this community. And please check in if you got a moment, because I'd really like to get to know some of you out there and make this a two-way conversation. Okay, before I let you go, let me leave you with a quote. Power is by thinking they don't have any. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you next time, my friend. Peace and love. This podcast has been brought to you by ZeroToTravel.com. Ideas and advice to make your travel dreams a reality.